Well, a very pleasant good morning to each one of you. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to go ahead and go ahead and open to the passage that our brother Don read just a few moments ago in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we will be uh, there in that text here in just a moment. It is such a pleasure to see all of you here on this uh, bright, beautiful, sunny and hot. We are in June, uh, no less, Sunday morning. It's good that we have, can begin another week in our life thinking about God coming together as God's people to open our hearts and to open our minds, to open our lips together in praise of Him, in remembrance of His eternal love for us in so many ways, but in the greatest of ways as He showed that to us through His Son Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us upon the cross of Calvary and to approach God's throne of mercy and grace and prayer together and to open God's word together to consider some good things that he has to say to us. As has been mentioned this morning, if you are visiting with us, we certainly are glad that you have chosen to come and to be with us. Maybe you are, are here uh, for our VBS, and I'm sure as the week goes on, we will have more in this area that will be visiting with us. And so, I don't have to tell this congregation this because we do such a good job of it, but just as a way of reminder to uh, make sure that we are friendly to everyone, that we are welcoming to everyone this week, especially uh, those who are little people that will be running all around us this week. We may think that VBS and Bible class and those kind of things is kind of a waste of time for those of us who are adults, but what better way could we spend the time that God has given to us trying to impress upon these young, impressionable minds, the awesome God that we serve. And what he has said in his word is we're going to focus on this particular week about parables and thinking about the parables uh, that Jesus told. As we think about that and kind of our lesson this morning, hopefully kind of introduces us to our theme for the week of the parables of Jesus as we are taking a road trip with Jesus. We're taking a journey with Jesus We are trying to walk along beside him as those early disciples and apostles and the crowds were there. And they were able to do that physically, literally. But of course, we live about 2,000 years removed from Jesus walking upon this earth and all the events that we will be reading about and thinking about this morning. And yet, we can still walk beside him. We can walk along with him. And so I want us to think this morning kind of as a way of introduction to the parables of Jesus, to just think about the parables of Jesus from the standpoint of what is a parable? And then secondly, to think about why parables? Why did Jesus decide that he was going to teach in parables? And then thirdly, to think about how what we really do with this parable, about how we are to read the parables and make applications to our own lives. And so I hope that this lesson will be helpful to all of us who are going to be here for the next uh, four nights, this night uh, included, will help us um, kind of set a foundation for these particular studies that we will be engaged in this week. To think, first of all, about this question, what is a parable? The word parable is not a word I assume that many of us use every day in our conversation with one another as we're going to work or school or in our homes. It is very much, we think, maybe today a Bible word, and it certainly is in the Bible. And I think it's worth noting that it's not just Jesus who taught parables, but even those prophets and messengers and spokesmen of God that had gone before him taught in parables. And so we have parables in the Old Testament. It's not something new, a new idea or new concept when we come to the New Testament. 
And yet sometimes we can, as we're doing this week, study about all these good parables and all the good lessons, life lessons there are for us to learn. And yet maybe we haven't thought about, first of all, what is a parable? And so I want us to think about that question and answer it just very briefly. Thayer in his Bible dictionary defines the word parable as this. He says it means a placing of one thing by the side of another. It is a comparing or a comparison of one thing with another. It is talking about the likeness between one thing and another, similitudes. It is an example, he says, by which a doctrine or a precept is illustrated. And I think that's a pretty good definition if you're going out of a textbook definition. This is kind of my definition of what a parable is. I think of it as just being a short, simple story that illustrates sometimes some very deep spiritual truths. You know, there, there are lots of ways in which God decides has decided to communicate with us through His Word. There are parables. Uh, there, there, are, um, there is narrative. Much of the Bible is narrative. Uh, there are just some parts of the Bible, like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, reads kind of like a law textbook. Uh, there, there are all kinds of ways. Poetry, Psalms, songs. And so God, I think, is taking all of these different ways or methods of communicating to us and putting them all together in the book that we call the Bible so that we can all learn His, His Word and learn something about Him. But here in the parables of Jesus, it was often just a short, simple story illustrating something that could have been very profound, something that's very deep, spiritually speaking. And Jesus decided to do that using common, everyday things of life. Brother Paul Earnhardt, if any of you have had the pleasure to listen to him, he's getting way on up in age uh, now. I think he is still doing some preaching, but he has written several books that I have. One of those is called Glimpses of Eternity about the parables. And he just very simply stated it this way, that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. <laughs> if you're looking for some definition to keep in your mind this week, I would suggest this one, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so as we're studying this week, as we're going to even begin tonight talking about the sower, we're really not talking about a person who goes out and sows physical seed. That's, that's not the point of the parable. Or as we think about the wise and foolish builders, we're not thinking this week, tomorrow night, about someone, how do you construct a house or a building? As we think about the lost sheep and the lost coin, we're not thinking about physical sheep. We're not thinking about Sure, for all of us who have lived long enough, we have lost things. Maybe we have spent a lot of time looking for those things around our house. We're not thinking about literal money or literal coins. We're not thinking about all of those things on an earthly level. But Jesus is using all those common everyday things that we can be familiar with to make a spiritual application oftentimes about what his kingdom is like. Since these definitions that we've already looked at this morning are kind of general, I realize, rather than specific, as we read the gospel, sometimes it can be hard for us to determine whether an illustration that Jesus is using or maybe a story that he is telling, whether that is truly a parable or not. And so if you have done any work on the parables, if you've, look, if you've looked at may, maybe several sources and their list of parables, it'll probably vary from one source to another as to what this person says is a parable and what somebody else says. Their list may be a little bit different. However, that's not the most important thing, and I hope you don't get caught up in that even this week. The most important thing is deciding whether what we're reading in the Gospels is a parable or not. Here is the most important thing in my mind, 
is that we impress with the fact that Jesus Christ, as our brother Byron has already called to our attention this morning, the Son of God, God in the flesh, that Jesus the Christ is speaking and that we are trying to understand what he is saying. That should be our goal this week. So why parables? Why did Jesus decide to teach in parables? Matthew chapter 13, I want you to go back to that particular text as we'll read it once again. Matthew 13, beginning at verse 10, and we'll read down through verse 17, as our brother Don did, and then jump over to verse 34. I notice what Matthew says here to us, beginning at verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull." With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Well, let's turn over to Mark's account for just a moment. Let's read here, first of all, 34 and 35 from uh, Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Matthew goes on to say there in verse 34, that all these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Now go to Mark's account for just a moment. A lot of this is going to be The same almost word for word, and yet there is a little bit of differentiation here between Matthew, Mark, and Luke's accounts. Uh, Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 10, Mark says, As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they they may see and not perceive, And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Drop down to verse 33 here in Mark chapter 4. Mark goes on to make the observation to us that with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. And then over in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 8, and we'll just read one verse here at least for the moment. Luke chapter 8 at verse 10, Jesus said to his disciples, as verse 9 tells us that they were questioning him about what the parable of the sower meant, what's the understanding, the interpretation of that. He says, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Well, depending upon what, again, your list is, if you will, depending upon what you consider to be a parable, at least in my mind, the Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8 parable of the sower and the other parables related to the kingdom of heaven that that are given to us here in Matthew 13, they are among the earliest. Uh, 
the time of these parables is in the Galilean, region, Galilean ministry of Jesus Christ. As I understand it, this was kind of the third period of Christ's life. Obviously, after the period of preparation where he is preparing to go and to preach the message, the, the gospel of the kingdom. Then you have his early ministry. And so now you have this time of the Galilean ministry. Jesus, as I have here on the screen, probably speaking these parables, at least in Matthew 13, the early one in Mark 4 and Luke 8, somewhere in the second year of his public ministry, perhaps toward the end. So that's kind of significant, at least to me, that Jesus didn't just start off and his first word out of his mouth was a parable. But he has been teaching, he has been performing miracles. There have been crowds that have been slowly gathering to him. His disciples have been observing him. They have been taking all of that in. And now somewhere toward the end, perhaps of his second year, he only had about a three-year ministry here on earth, he begins to teach in parables. It is interesting that Matthew makes the observation to us, especially about these parables in Matthew chapter 13, that large crowds were gathered on the beach by the Sea of Galilee. There were just throngs of people that came to hear what Jesus had to say on this particular occasion. And it was at this occasion that Jesus began to teach in parables. Again, as the master teacher, Jesus knew every teaching method available to impart divine truth to human beings. And he used all of those different methods with different audiences. And you can see that all throughout the Gospels, that yes, Jesus was teaching the same message, just as we get into the book of Acts with the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Titus later on in the, in the uh, New Testament. They were all teaching and preaching the same message, and yet they had a different audience. They approached things sometimes a little bit differently, given their audience. In this text, as we've already noted here from verse 10 of Matthew chapter 13, the disciples, probably more than the apostles, more than just the 12, were asking Jesus, why are you doing this? Why do you speak to them? Why do you speak to the crowds in parables? Before we look at Christ's answer, I want you to notice Matthew's comment that Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, he says, to fulfill this prophecy, if you look there at what we've already read at verses 34 and 35, verses 34 and 40, 40, 35 here of Matthew 13. This goes back to the psalmist's words in Psalm 78. We're not going to take the time to read that psalm. You'll be thankful for that. <laughs> because other than Psalm 119, Psalm 78 is a pretty long psalm. And it really is going through the history of Israel's of Israel, God's people of old. But it begins there in the early verses by saying to that generation, you need to make sure that you take what has been taught to you and you teach that to your children so that they can teach that to their children so that they can teach that to their children so they're not like our fathers and they don't abandon God, but they diligently seek Him every day of their life and they serve Him and they obey Him. And so it was to fulfill this prophecy. It was to reveal the writer says here, Matthew, things hidden since the foundation of the world, which were the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's what the parables intended to do. Connected to that, Christ also says that he spoke these parables, the truths uh, and the truths they reveal would not be seen or understood by all. That some, maybe even much of the multitude who had listened to what Jesus was saying in these parables, he says about them, and quoting here again from a prophet, Isaiah this time, 
and saying these people haven't really changed much since the days of Isaiah and even the days before Isaiah, that for many in the crowd, they were listening, they were hearing audibly what Jesus was saying, but he said they had dull, hard, closed, arrogant, rebellious hearts. That was most of the crowd and especially the religious leaders that may have been listening to the parables. But there were others, mainly those who were his disciples, those who had already chosen to come and follow him, that they had honest and soft and open and humble and receptive hearts. The fact that Jesus quotes Isaiah again shows that for the most part, God's people had long had a heart problem. That they had long been a people who had blinded eyes and stopped up ears and unhealthy hearts. In relation to the word of God, it wasn't something unique about Jesus coming and speaking God's word, about Jesus coming and being God's word, much less. Because as Jesus reminded the religious leaders of places like Matthew 23, among others, they've they've always been doing this. God would send a prophet, God would send a messenger, God would send a spokesman. And for the most part, God rejected those people and the message that they gave And Jesus was saying it continued in this particular day. Speaking of parables, I believe, allowed Jesus to, for lack of a better word, weed out those who had a desire to understand, those whom are are like the ones that Jesus describes there early in the Sermon on the Mount, about those who are poor in spirit, who know that they are spiritually bankrupt as they come to God, and they know that God is the only one who can give them value. And it's those people who are diligently seeking and searching after righteousness that they have given up everything else in their life and God and His righteousness is what is at the forefront of their life. It's what is most valuable to them. It's kind of to weed out those who had that desire to understand from those who did not. And what He taught concerning the kingdom... from those who did not have that understanding. It was a winnowing process, if you will. It was a weeding out process. That's not to say that everyone who heard Jesus just immediately understood what he had to say. Even in these very simple parables, they did not. Even as we've already read this morning, the disciples, even the 12 among however many hundreds or thousands of disciples there were at this particular point, they often didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And so after he told the parable, like in the parable of the sower that we'll look at this evening, they pull Jesus aside privately and say, we we don't understand what you're saying here. Help us to understand what, what is it that you want us to learn from what you have just said. But when they didn't understand, they wanted a further explanation. Notice here just a few of these passages that we have here on the screen. Continuing here in Matthew 13 and verse 36, it says, He left uh, the crowds and went into the house, and the disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the terrors of the field. Over in chapter 15 of this same gospel at verse 15, as Jesus has told a parable here about the blind leading the blind, Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. That They want to know more information. And so really that that is, I think, a distinguishing mark of a true disciple of Christ. It's not that we just have everything together. It's not that we necessarily know all the answers to any biblical, spiritual question that someone could ask us right there on the spot. But it's that when we don't understand, we don't walk away and say, oh, well, 
you know, I'll get back to living my life my way and, and living in a way that I can understand. But those who are disciples, again, Matthew chapter 5, 3 and 6, they're poor in spirit. They are searching for righteousness. And Jesus says, if you're looking for that, you're going to find it. You're going to be filled. You're going to be satisfied. And I hope that we have that attitude this week as we look at the parables. But it served to separate these two groups. It served to show who and really to expose people's hearts for what they truly were. And the gospel, you know, has the same effect today. The message, the gospel message, we don't have to change it at all. It can drive some people away and they never want to hear any of that again. But other people preaching the same message, it will draw them in. And they may not understand everything about God's word. In fact, they won't at that particular point. But they will begin to ask questions. They will want to know more. They will devote their life to seeking and serving God and knowing more of His will for their life. And so things haven't changed that much since the days of Jesus until now. But knowing this, it is interesting that the first parable that Jesus tells, as we'll look at again this evening, I'm trying to give as many plugs for tonight's classes as I can. The first parable about the parable of the sower, he tells, is about different hearts. And so if we are people who approach the parables as we should with an honest and a good heart, if we are people that approach these teachings of Jesus with a a burning desire and passion to know God's will, we are blessed. Notice what Jesus says back in Matthew 13 at verse 16. He says to his audience, to the disciples that have asked him, why are you teaching in parables? We want to know more of what this parable means. He says, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many people, uh, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear. He was saying to this crowd that had made the decision to come and follow him, they didn't know all the ins and outs of what that commitment would cost them in their life. But he says, you are in a blessed position. They were, and they didn't even have the whole story the whole plan of God for our salvation. We have all of that in one book or today with technology on one tablet or on one phone. It is so easily accessible and yet sometimes we just kind of dismiss it. Is that our true desire? Do we come to the word with an honest and a good heart, wanting to know whatever God has said, that's, that's the kind of person I want to be. That's what I want to devote my life to being. Because Christ has made it possible for us to see and for us to hear what others desired to but did not. And so finally this morning, I want us to think just very quickly about four ways for us to read the parables. Number one, I think it is good for us to observe the setting and the surrounding context. And that's true of whether you're reading and studying and thinking about the parables or anything else in Scripture. But especially the parables. To take notice, we have already done somewhat this morning of Christ's target audience. Is he talking to the crowds? Is he talking just specifically to the disciples? Is he talking mainly to the religious leaders? Is he talking to what we talked about a few weeks ago, sinners? (laughs) Tax collectors and sinners, those people that the religious leaders didn't consider worthy of their time and attention, the low life of of the earth, the scum of the earth. 
We need to listen to the conversation that goes on between Jesus and maybe some in the crowd. We need to listen to questions that may be asked after the teaching of Jesus or while he is teaching. We need to think if the text gives us this clue about the motives of those who are questioning Jesus so that we can gain insight into the purpose as to why Jesus told the particular parable that he told. That will go a long way in helping us to understand what am I to get out of this parable? What what does this mean for me every day in my life? Secondly, we need to read the parables looking for the main truth taught and focusing on that main truth. There are some parables that are very, very short. It may just be one or two verses. There are other parables like the parable of the sower, like the parable of the Good Samaritan that has quite a bit of narrative around it. We're given a lot of details. And I would suggest to you that Jesus, in those longer parables at least, included a lot of information to kind of fill out the story. He, these are not real things that happen, but at the same time, these are not myths. This is something that is very believable, something that his audience then and us today can relate to that we know something about. And if multiple lessons are present in a parable, we need to consider those. But I would say even when we do, don't miss the one main point of the parable. Because I believe these short stories, these short illustrations that Jesus gives to his audience then and today, they they have really one main point. Sometimes we like to get sidetracked. The parable of the prodigal son, (laughs) you know, is a very long parable. Sometimes we like to get sidetracked on all these things. And I'm not saying there's not some good applications and lessons that we can make along the way. But Luke chapter 15 begins with who's there (laughs) the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're criticizing Jesus for associating and eating with tax collectors and sinners. That goes back to our previous point. Notice the setting. Notice the context. And I think if we follow that, then we will get the main point. By the way, I think we use parables today in teaching the Bible. Maybe we don't call them parables or think about it from that standpoint. They may be illustrations from our family. maybe illustrations from nature. They may be illustrations from sports or business, just other, day, other everyday activities of our lives. And we know, hopefully, as we tell those illustrations, maybe we as parents are trying to teach our children something about God. Maybe we're having a biblical, spiritual conversation with a coworker or a neighbor or a friend. And hopefully it is the case that someone who is listening to that doesn't walk away just saying, I remember the illustration. <laughs> because the illustration is not really the point. The illustration is just serving to shed light on the main point. We're trying to get people to see spiritual truth just as Jesus was. And so we need to not lose sight of the main truth that is taught in the parables. And connected to that, thirdly, as we read the parables, we need to be people who are not trying to force parables to say something that they don't. You know, something that we read maybe in the details of the parable seems to be in conflict with truth that Jesus or his disciples or for that matter the prophets of old taught that's clearly stated elsewhere in the word of God. We need to go first of all I believe with what scripture clearly says and then come to this passage maybe this parable that maybe we can't figure out exactly how this fits into everything else rather than the other way around. Again brother Earnhardt made this observation in this little book that I think is very good. He said these illustrations talking about parables are more intended to be windows 
and foundation stones. They do not so much declare a doctrine or a teaching from God as they illustrate a significant facet of it. And I think we need to keep that in mind. And then fourthly and finally, as we read through and think through the parables this week, as with all of Scripture, if we just know what God says intellectually and we never do it, how many times did Jesus have conversations with people in the Gospels and he says, I'm showing, you know, John 13 to his disciples before he's about to be crucified. I'm doing this. I'm washing your feet so that you can know I, as your teacher, your rabbi, have done this. But it's not just enough for you to come out saying, wow, the Son of God got down on his hands and knees and washed my feet. But it's so that you can go out and do that for others. Parable of the Good Samaritan, the lawyer that asked the question, Jesus ends by saying, go and do likewise. We've got to make personal application. And if we sit and listen to, I'm sure all of our teachers, as Gavin said this morning, have put a lot of time, thought, prayer. A lot of work has gone into the classes that are going to be taught this week. And we come away from that thinking, wow, that was a great class. Wow, I just like the illustrations that my teacher chose. Wow, you know, for the kids, I like the activities that that we were engaged in. And then it doesn't do anything for us from Thursday till the day that we die. (laughs) Has it really done us much good? If we only approach these parables or any part of Scripture from an academic, intellectual, or theological viewpoint, that's all we will get from them. But I want to challenge each of us, myself included, to see yourself as much as you can in each of these parables that we will be discussing this week, to examine your heart, just like these original hearers of these parables. Just imagine that you're sitting there in the audience And you are at the feet of Jesus and you are listening to him speak this week because you are. To examine your heart as you learn what Jesus has to say and to determine to be the one who has ears to hear. Jesus said this a couple of times here in Matthew 13. He who has ears, let him hear. So that's a crash course in the parables. I hope it has been of benefit to you. I hope that it will get your mind, if it, if it isn't already engaged, in coming to learn from Jesus. He is the master teacher, and everything he said, he said it for a reason, and he said it in the way that he did for a specific purpose. And he's trying to reach our hearts with the good seed, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God. What about you this morning? Do you have a receptive heart, as we'll speak about later on today? Do you have a heart that, that is uh, malleable, that God can work with, that God can shape? If that's you this morning and you haven't done anything with that, won't you respond to his gracious, gracious invitation? You can come this morning if you're ready to do so, to confess your faith that Jesus is the Christ, He is the Son of God, you can come this morning repenting of your sins, determining that you're going to make a change in your life. You're not going to follow yourself or the world anymore. You're going to follow God. And you're going to devote yourself. You're going to have this burning passion and desire to seek God for the rest of your life here upon earth. And doing that, we'll be happy to 
immerse you in water, to baptize you into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe that you are a Christian, you are a disciple of Christ, but maybe hearing the parables, maybe just hearing the word of God in general doesn't move you like it once did. Maybe your heart has become filled with other things in the world, and we'll talk about that some this week. But if that's you, all hope is not lost because you can change. You too can make a decision that you're going to repent and you're going to come back and get on the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. Whatever your condition might be, as we're about to sing this song of resolution, won't you be resolved this morning to walk with the Savior Jesus Christ? Let that be known now. Come to the front and as we stand and as we sing.